0: It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. So with fear and trepidation, we enter into uh, episode two of this series. Uh, I haven't even been able to debrief with you what episode one was like for you, but I know it's... it's It's funny, it's it's territory that we know about, but it's not territory we're used to treading. And I'm not exactly sure why, even though I do know why. I don't know why as the church we have allowed a paralysis to hinder us. But some of these issues have been spoken of and have been turned over and have been utilized as illustration for a long time. And that's another reason why this is hard, is there are sectors of our society that have picketed and that have uh, screamed and shouted loudly. And some of you may have listened, some of you may have plugged your ears, and, but as a result, it's sort of like the topic of the Holy Spirit in the church, where some people are just on board and gung-ho and so excited and some people are scared to death about what could awaken because of the misuse of that topic. And there has been misuse of some of these issues that we've already begun to step into. I'm technically not, even though the first one seemed to have a lot to do with race, my, my series is not just on racial issues. It just happens to be that racial issues are a big part of American history. And it's part of our conflagration or our inner conflict where, you know, some people would argue that the Civil War was not a result of race. That was an issue of states' rights. And governmentally or politically or constitutionally speaking, yeah, you could make that argument, but the states' rights all had to do with the handling of slaves and you know the future states, were they going to be slave states or free slave states? And so the, the balance of the Senate and, and the Congress as a whole was hanging in the balance to the point where there was a huge tension, because if the North began to gain more voice in the Congress, then they could actually begin to influence those that were slave states, and it could change the entire economy of the South, because the economy of the South hinged on the slave system. And so you have these tensions that have just been a part of our history, whether we acknowledge it or not. Most of us just know it. It's there. But here's the challenge that I have run into as a believer, as a leader, just as an individual, just a guy with a family. Lord, do I have a responsibility? With the history that we have, what am I supposed to do? Do I just nod and say, hmm, I will learn from that? Or do I actually grow from that? Do I actually have a response? And that's part of the tensions that I'm sort of wanting to walk us into. So this is a series called Spiritual Lessons from Black and White America. And as I said in the previous one, that's not just talking about race, even though that is a portion of this 60-year period between 1914 and 1974 that I am addressing. But it is also dealing with the advent of movies. This is part of where our our media, our modern media system is going to explode onto the scene right around 1915. It's the first major motion picture release. Television is going to come in this period, and it is going to start to swallow up the attentions of a culture. And so the main voices are going to transfer from radio into these new sectors, and these are going to be positions of influence, but it's all black and white. Black and white movies, black and white television, and then even the opinions of the age. We're going to have a very thin veneer over our anger and over our venom, because there is a hostility that is brewing in our country that has already been there. You know, If you saw the North and the South in the Civil War, yeah, it was there. It was very serious stuff, which led to a war and many deaths. But that thin veneer that is sort of hanging out there in Reconstruction and then ongoing is going to crack at times in this period of time, and we're going to see breakouts of extreme violence in our country. And this is internal. This isn't an attack from some other nation. This is an internal issue that we have, get this, in a Christian nation. Now, in this same Christian nation that we have sprung up out of, now, not all of you are from America, but, you know, just follow me as I say this, that out of this Christian nation that we have sprung, from which we have sprung, we also have seen in the church of Jesus Christ a, maybe not violent, but an extreme breaking called denominationalism amongst us where we can hardly get along. It is very, very difficult to stick you know, certain denominations together in the same room and have them survive for 10 minutes and that is all part of the enemy's devices. He is very good at this, whatever we're going to call it. God shed his grace on this country. This country has received a great blessing from heaven, and we have sent forth more missionaries than any country in all of world history, and yet we are hanging in the balance and we are no longer even considered a Christian nation. And I wouldn't even say that we're a post-Christian nation. I would say we're actually migrating into anti-Christian territory. What has happened to us? And part of it is that we have not addressed our own inner conflicts. We have not addressed them as believers. We've addressed them politically. We've addressed them in all sorts of other ways other than as believers. And I'm looking for a Christian response to the problems of our country and not a political one. I am not seeking office and I'm not trying to move Congress to enact a law. I am interested in the church of Jesus Christ being exactly what we were called to be. So this particular message is called carrying royalty to the Bus." This is a very intimate story in my life which will help you even understand some of the dynamics in my personal family. So this is even somewhat of a review even though I don't know that I ever gave a proof case of how I could say this. Right now you might just need to lean on uh, the fact that I'm, I'm making the statements and there are, there are some arguable uh, you know, counters to this but In a lot of ways, it's very likely true that in 1914, America was arguably the most racist nation on earth, which is hard to imagine that our country would be racist. I mean, come on. We're America, the home of the free, the land, well, what was it? Home of the brave, land of the free. Is that what it is? No, I can't remember what we are. It's terrible, isn't it? But we're a great country, and we're a place of freedom and equality where it doesn't matter what religion you are, you have safety here. I mean, that's what we started with. And it shouldn't matter what race you are, you have equality. And in 1914, we've already set slaves free. And so how could we still have a racial issue come 1914? And that's part of I think the issue is sometimes we say we don't have issues when we still do. Have you ever notice that in your Christian life? It's like, yeah, I, I don't have any issues, <laughs> and there's still an issue there. And that's actually an important thing for us to realize in the story of America. I'm not trying to throw America under the bus. I love America. I'm not one of those anti-American guys that's just like, look, this, this nation stinks. However, I also don't want to be the idiot that says everything's fine, nothing to see here, we actually have some real issues that I don't want the wrong people trying to solve. I would rather have us solve them. The dangers of being a conservative first. So when you're a conservative, which you you could say Eric leans conservative, but you're going to hear me say quite a few times probably throughout this series, I don't want to be defined as a conservative, I want to be defined as a Christian. And there is a distinction. A conservative has certain values and has certain predictabilities. Like you bring up Donald Trump and a conservative is going to have a certain perspective that a liberal definitely doesn't have. And so a conservative is going to look at Donald Trump and try and overlook some of his harsher elements because we're conservative and we appreciate his policy. We just don't always appreciate his manner and the way in which he carries himself. But a conservative is going to be very gracious and forgiving towards certain things, whereas a liberal is going to see all of his flaws and emphasize all of his flaws and want him dead. It's a very distinct difference. It depends on which glasses you are wearing. I want you to take off liberal glasses and conservative glasses and throw them in the trash. I'm sick and tired of America being defined by either of those glasses. We are believers. In Philippians, it talks about a freneo, an attitude, a mindset. You might as well call them glasses. And it's the glasses of Christ, the attitude of Christ, the mind of Christ. This is what we wear. We don't wear political glasses, social glasses, denominational glasses. We wear Jesus glasses. What the word says, we go with. We don't go just with tradition. We go with Jesus. So the dangers of being a conservative first Oh, I'm a conservative. Well, what does that mean? It's that your Christianity sometimes ends up following political position instead of defining it. So when your Christianity follows a political position, that's actually dangerous. What you want is for your Christianity to define your views. So first and foremost, it doesn't matter if your conservative you know, patriots that are next to you actually have a wrong position biblically, you can't stand with that, even though you might side with them on 90% of the issues. It doesn't matter. You're a Christian first. Okay, here's a test for you guys. Now, if you're getting this via podcast, you can't see my nice list, so I will read it. But which issue doesn't fit into the list? So these are some of the issues today. We could, of course, come up with more. But homosexuality. There's an agenda today, LGBTQ+, okay? That's uh, quite uh, an acronym that we are building, even with a plus in it. Gender confusion, it's an issue of our day. And the left, as I've talked about a right and a left, the left is pressing an agenda. And it involves homosexuality and normalizing it. Gender confusion, it's okay. I mean, I think it was Facebook... This is about seven years ago, had 54 genders, uh, gender options, and I'm guessing it's only increased in the last seven years. And so you can identify as a giraffe, and that's totally understandable in our culture. And that's, okay, for many of us in here, we're going to say, that is odd, that is weird, that is wrong, right? So, okay, I'm just giving you this list. I probably shouldn't make any commentary on the list because I don't want to sway your vote. Which issue doesn't fit into the list? Homosexuality, gender confusion, free sexuality. In other words, I can do whatever I want. If I feel it, I should, I should go after it. Abortion. If I want to take the life of an unborn baby, that's my business. It's my choice. Deleting God. We don't want God in this culture. It's the cancel God culture and racial equality. Do you see any of those or do you see one in that list that just stands out that doesn't fit that's you could say, actually, there's a whole list of things that are very dangerous and they go against God's agenda. And then there's one in that list that strangely has been associated with a left-leaning policy, which is actually right in the center of God's heart. And it's at the very bottom to stand out for you, and it's racial equality. It's funny how we as conservatives can be, because we, when you think politically first or conservative first, you have a tendency to allow your political leanings to shape your Christianity. And so many of us have actually really struggled with some of the movements of civil rights and some of the things that have happened in our culture because of its source and where it's coming from. And yes, it has a lot of odd stuff woven into it, but... Ponder this with me. Should we be fighting against something of treating other people of different races, of different skin colors, the same? I mean, to me, that's sort of like, uh, well, that's a bad idea to fight against that. And so I'm just trying to draw attention to it. When you take a position against a people group, you immediately fall into a murky spiritual territory of soul deception. Now, that isn't racial for many of us. Like For many of us, we don't have a position against a a different race, at least cognitively or that we're aware of. But it's very easy to take a position against a particular group. And since I lean conservative, I have a tendency to be around conservatives. And one of the things I could tell you is that conservatives have a tendency to take a very strong position against people groups. I know, doesn't that sound terrible? it actually is. It's not good. And one of the number one groups that they take a position against is what are called liberals. Liberals. And you know, patooey. Liberals are the problem with our country. Well, by the way, just as a reminder, liberals are the ones that you have been called to reach with the love of Jesus. And so... When you take a harsh position in your soul towards a people group, it actually begins to diminish your own spiritual sensitivity. It is part of the way the enemy plays us. The LGBTQ community is convinced that you're against them. Isn't that interesting? And I understand why. Because I actually think we may be. And that's part of the problem. We can't reach them if we're against them the fact that they desire a different form of America, that they are after a different, a renovation of our country from the biblical moorings that we've had in the past, should you turn against them because of that? You do realize that they are your mission field. You do realize that you are carrying What they need, it's called the gospel of Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus. Many of them, if not a high percentage, like in the 90 percentile, have been hurt in the church, which is why they are struggling with what they're struggling with. How do we remedy that? It starts right here. It's not a political thing. This is a Christian thing. And we must think as missionaries and not as political delegates. Luke six twenty seven through 35. But I say to you who hear, this is Jesus speaking, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, well, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Did I just describe modern America for the conservative, for the Christian? You know that we feel like our cloak is being taken from us? We've had a certain protection for a long time, and someone's coming along and trying to steal it. Yet our attitude is not quite matching this. Now, I know. I understand. You know, I, I have a background in American history, constitutional law. This is my baby, too and it's been very hard for me, and I've been holding this baby for a long time, cooing, and someone robs it from my hand and is like hurting it. It's like, ah, hey, get your hands off of that. I get it, I do. This is very hard for us, and our natural response is not Christian. Our natural response is selfish. This is the way we like it. This is our comforts. This is the way we expect it. This is our government. This is the government of the people, by the people, for the people. What do you think you're doing out there? So yeah, that scripture about submitting to government, that doesn't apply to me. I'm in America. And we have all our caveats for why we don't need to live as Christians right now. And I'm going to commission all of us to say, don't buy it. This is our hour to showcase Jesus right now, right here, in these very circumstances. We may be mistreated as believers. We may be being marginalized. The voice that we represent may not be wanted anymore. And we may feel like the agenda out there is counter to everything we stand for. And I could say welcome to Christian history. We are just tasting a little of what Christians throughout the ages have dealt with. I am not any more interested in our country going down the drain than you are. But in the meantime, if it does go down the drain, when it's going down the drain, I want to be rejoicing, giving thanks, showing love, and showing Jesus. If it's not going to go down the drain, guess what would stop it? The church showing love, rejoicing, giving thanks, and showing Jesus. That is the only thing that's going to stop it anyways. So no matter what, we behave the same. We show Jesus. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. What a statement! I don't know how many of you have ever stuck that final statement up on your refrigerator. He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Well, I don't need to be. Actually, the whole statement is this is what his followers are like. And I'm going to risk a statement here. Remember, everything I'm doing is delicate anyways. I might as well move into even more delicate territory. And say, I don't believe the conservative side of the church is expressing this well right now. I don't mean that all. It's not a blanket statement. Because I know many of us, even as I'm saying this, this is our desire. However, as a whole, our infrastructure is very acidic towards that which is opposing our infrastructure as a country right now. I understand why. It's not healthy. It's not a good movement that is coming against our country. It is sabotaging infrastructure that has upheld truth and sent forth missionaries into this earth for generations. And so yeah, I could see why you would be a little upset over that. But our role is to show Jesus. Right now, in these circumstances, whether or not our constitutional republic ever stands, or if it actually goes on meltdown. Yes, there is a grievance with that. It's sort of like if my family was killed for the gospel, would I feel it? Oh, yes. But I could also rejoice because my family was given for Jesus. They gave up their lives for that which is true, honorable, and right. Praise God, that's what we're here for. And so no matter what's happening, let's do this for Jesus. The bait of national honor, national pride, and national preservation. This is my homeland. This is a great bait, and this has led to some of our worst sins as a country. Now, ironically, patriotism is one of the great value points in most countries. You would say, okay, what is the number one virtue in this country? Patriotism. And yet, what is the number one weakness in our country, oftentimes? Patriotism. Because you can overlook everything I just read about being Jesus to someone under the banner of patriotism to the point that you'll actually kill them too. I know, this is a debatable point. I'm, I'm heading into some dangerous territory here. But patriotism is a canopy or a banner under which we have done a lot of misdeeds. So when the British tried to tax us for tea, no, I happen to be rather a big fan of the American Revolution and the fact that we want it and the fact that the British still do not, you know, do not control us and we're not under their thumb. Praise God, and that's always been part of the storyline. However, what was the response? Well, it was something known as rebellion, right? And, and we're not going to take that. No taxation without representation. And so the response, this has been, since the very beginning of our country, we are John Wayne-esque and what's funny is if you're American, you're like, yeah, we are. We like that quality. We like that we spit in the face of that meanie out there. When Germany asked Mexico to ally with them against America in World War I, you may not know the story, you have to go through my World War I series to truly appreciate it, but Germany is going to actually send a cable through an American line of communication to get to Mexico to ask them to join them in, in waging war against uh America and they're promising them the state of Texas if they do. How do you think the Americans handled that? Well, probably the way you would if you heard about it it's like what? And I mean they were ready to kill a German right then and there. When the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor in World War II. What? And this is what caused I mean we're a pretty impressive fighting nation, I have to admit. I mean, World War I changed its direction because of the Americans getting into it. See me doing a little bragging here? And World War II, we were the impetus that changed the course of it all. Of course, it took us a while to get into it. But, hey, it's pretty impressive when we get angry. And so our anger could be looked at as a wonderful attribute. When Stalin refused to accept the American model of capitalism and free enterprise for the newly freed Eastern Europe, well, now we have the Cold War. And guess what? Most of us have grown up hating communists. It's interesting because I hate communism, but I sure don't want to hate a communist. I may hate that Nazism and that whatever Hitler was sponsoring, but I don't want to hate a Nazi. Do you see what happens to us? I may hate what happened at Pearl Harbor, but I don't want to hate a Japanese just because of it. There's a difference here of knowing what to allocate our anger towards. There is a spiritual realm that is wanting to harm the world around us, wanting to take prisoners captive and send them to hell. Our job is to see them set free, whether they be Japanese, German, or under a communist rulership. That makes no difference to us. Those are people that Jesus Christ died for, and we want to see them set free. When Iranian students seize the U.S. Embassy in Tehran and detain more than 50 Americans, boy, did we get mad. When Fidel Castro, dot, 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 you just fill in the blank. When Saddam Hussein, dot, 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 you just fill in the blank. Now some of you are like, who are these people? That's all right. When Osama Bin Laden, when ISIS, when Vladimir Putin, when someone were to dare to do that, well, then we get mad that's what we're good at as Americans. We're pretty good at hating other people and getting vengeance on them. And we really like it when it stuck to them and it stuck to them well. Shock and awe campaigns really uh, make us happy. And so what I want to just put my finger on is I want to say, be watchful. You can be in a country and love your country and I understand that countries have to make decisions for their defense. That's part of what a government is there for. And to make sure that another country recognizes that we're not just going to be bowled over. But it's the soul of the country that I'm interested in. It's us. How are we as the church responding? Are we following a political vantage point with our soul? Or are we following Jesus and his word? Debate for the, conserva- the political conservative... So here's, here's our most recent. Now, some of you, this, even, uh, you know, this dates me even putting the list up, and it's, to me, it seems very recent. When Bill Clinton, doesn't matter what Bill Clinton does, the conservatives were always just like, well, there he goes again, right? And we were against it. If Bill Clinton's for it, we have to be against it. Uh, my, my grandpa used to have a, a statement, and he'd sit back, and he'd maybe let out a burp, and, and, uh, and they'd say, better burp and bear the shame and not bear the pain. This is my, my grandpa, and... And then he says, you want to know how I vote? And he'd sit there in his uh, Barca lounger and say, I find out what Ted Kennedy votes and I vote the opposite. And that, <laughs> that right there, I mean, bless my grandpa, he a you know, fun, delightful man, uh, and a little crude and rude around the edges, but that's actually the way many people function. If Ted Kennedy votes it, then you need to vote the opposite because you know you don't like Ted Kennedy. I mean, that's just not a healthy way to live your life. And yet, that's the way many of us do. When Bill Clinton, when Barack Obama, when Hillary Clinton, when Joe Biden, dot, 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 whatever they do, it must be wrong. Because they have a different worldview than us. They come from a different perspective. Now, let me give you the opposite side. The bait for the political liberal. When Donald Trump, dot, dot, dot. It doesn't matter what Donald Trump did or said the liberals hated it. In fact, that you almost feel like he could have taken a liberal perspective and they still would have come against it with a conservative one. Because it's anything he does, and that is, again, very unhealthy. And most of you noted it when they were coming against Donald Trump. You may not note it when the conservatives come against the liberals. And I'm just saying, this is a bad way to live, guys. The threat to national security, when President Lincoln freed the slaves of the South on January 1st, 1863. Did I just read that? The threat to national security. When President Lincoln freed the slaves of the South on January 1st, 1863. Now, I have a I think I have a picture here. Pause right here. We are currently riding our bicycle on sand. And I have a there's me riding a bicycle on sand. By the way, have you ever ridden a bicycle on sand? It's actually very hard. I've been in multiple bike accidents where I flipped over, I, I broke my, my whole, half of my front tooth is false. I don't want to tell you that, but it is because it broke out while I was on a bicycle. I remember coming down a hill, going as fast as I can, and then I went into the sand uh, on the side and whoo, flipped over. I'm very sensitive to driving on sand as a result of this. So when I say I'm riding my bicycle on sand, that means something to me. That means it's extra difficult to keep control. And so I just made a statement that the Emancipation Proclamation created a national security threat. You know what the Emancipation was? That was setting the slaves free. In the middle of civil war, uh, Lincoln is going to create an executive order to free the slaves. Well, that was spitting in the face of the South to start with. And it was a very tactical decision on another side. And it was a very good decision. And I'm going to be very supportive of it. However... It wasn't deemed uh, the same way many of you may deem it back then. Even in the North, there were concerns about this. Even though they liked the political smirk that was involved in it, they were concerned. Because what you were doing is setting a subservient people free. Uh, What's going to happen next? And this is going to create such an interesting dynamic in the history that we have lived in that we have sprung out of. So at this time, there are sciences that are very learned and very smart. Have you guys ever heard the term trust the science? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we got that statement quite a bit uh, in the past few years. And I'm gonna say that that line has not led to the best conclusions. I, here, here's what I would say, trust the word of God don't, don't trust the science. The science can sound smart, like it's all advanced and it has it all figured out. And if you just trust it, everything's going to go great. And I'm not trying to make a political statement in even saying that. But I am going to give some evidence of what was happening in this time of why the nation was so concerned about setting slaves free. Okay? because it was all science. You just need to trust the science. It's funny, because the same people that are now saying trust the science, they should look back at the previous times when that was said to them, and they should realize that didn't go so well. So according to the latest greatest science in 1859, there was something known as phrenology. This is one of the weirdest sciences, but this was a very, very common thing back then. It was mainstream. And most of the learned people were studying and and reading up on this and and nodding along going, mmm, yes. So it's a theory taken seriously for a time in the 18th and 19th centuries that human characteristics were reflected in the relative growth of the parts of the brain and that these could be detected by palpitation of the skull bumps, which it was claimed conformed to the shape of the brain. That helps, doesn't it? And all of you are like, yes, and now I understand what phrenology is. But here's what I want you to see is the conclusions out of this science. These are hard facts back in 1859, right before the start of the Civil War. These are the statements being made. There is a book that is going to be released of, a, of an expert in phrenology that is going to make very distinct statements about the black people and about Jewish people. Listen to Orson Fowler, who was the author of in the, the scientist in this. Coarse hair correlates with coarse fibers in the brain and indicates coarse feelings, which suggests that people of African descent have poor verbal skills and traits best suited for nursing children and waiting on tables. Now, remember I said I was writing on sand here. I mean, even to put that quote on the screen is so detestable and wrong that this was said. But the reason I'm showing you this is to show you our history, to recognize what we are coming out of, that we have trusted science to be our lead. And when you trust science over the word of God, you end up tripping somewhere along the line. And we were tripping, and we've been tripping for a long time with our science infatuation. So listen to this other statement from Orson Fowler. Jewish people are hereditarily acquisitive, deceitful, and destructive. Do you guys see something happening in the world? As you begin to have these thoughts planted, the two groups that are going to be most oppressed in the next hundred years after these statements happen to be black and Jewish. Trust the science? Hmm, I don't think so. There was another science that is going to emerge in 1859 that's On the Origin of the Species, written by a man named Charles Darwin. 1859. Isn't that interesting? Right before the Civil War. And of course, this is the new and best science of the time, and there's still people today that are going to hold to this doggedly. You want to hold to this doggedly? I'll read you some of the conclusions of this wonderful science. Evolution shows us that whites evolved superior in work ethic, intelligence, and moral acumen. And that it is because science and, and that is because science shows that whites and blacks descend from different species. Hmm, brilliant. Blacks and descending from a lesser species are lazy, ignorant, and uncivilized, the inverse image of what it means to be an American. So, an American is the opposite of being lazy, ignorant, and uncivilized. And so, this other species that has bred the black race is a lesser one. And it's definitely not American. Do you see that? Do you see that implied in there? This is not American. This is something different. It's from a different line, a different animal in the past. Blacks, and descending from a lesser species, are inclined towards violence and savagery, and therefore, like any wild animal, must be tamed. Trust the science? How are you guys doing with that? Do you see why when we are starting to repeat the same exact things just from a different political vantage point, this is political, political science is what this is. This is actually manipulating culture according to a design politically. And when you have science that aids and abets what you want for your country it actually can disturb the very essence of what Christianity is. Christianity has nothing to do with these thoughts, nothing at all. That is so opposite of everything God teaches in his word, not even close. First of all, we didn't evolve, we were created by God Almighty in his image. There isn't different strains that are coming together and one's lesser and one's greater. A bunch of bunk, by the way, did I tell you what bunk was? It's really stinky bad stuff. So there's a character named Mary Lee in 1865. This is after the Civil War is over and you have something known as Reconstruction that is taking place in America. The political system has completely been remodeled now. Uh Uh-oh. So this is what she says. Political Reconstruction is inevitable now, but Social Reconstruction we have in our hands and we can prevent. Social Reconstruction, what does she mean by that? Well, Up to this point, the whites are over the blacks. They're tamed. The blacks are tamed. And so Mary Lee is expressing something on behalf of an entire society. We don't need to let that change. And so though the blacks have been set free and now they are considered under the Constitution equal, it is now something that is termed equal with separation. This is the beginning of something known as segregation. So, okay, we're going to say they're equal. All right, not everyone believes that, but the government says it, right? They're equal, but with separation. So here's a big word for us. Prosoplepsia. How do you like that one? Prosoplepsia. So prosopolapsia is a rather, rather ugly thing. And the Bible uses this word. It's a Greek word. And it means discrimination. It means favoritism of one over another, pushing one down so that another can rise. Huh, that sounds sort of similar to something we're talking about right now. So I'm gonna call this rationalized prosopolepsia. I'm doing this for the good of my family, my community, my state, and my country. If you genuinely believed that a black person was a threat to your society, which I'm not going to, I can't speak for those in the South of how they thought. I know what they thought because you can read it, but they felt that the black people were a threat. They didn't see them as able to be civilized and learned and that they would actually harm if they had the chance. They would steal if they had the chance. And so they were a threat and to give them equality and to give them any rights was dangerous. And so The Southern society wanted to quell their vote. They may have a vote, but they want to quell their vote. They want to intimidate their vote. They want to sway them away with violence, which is where you're going to see the initial rise of the Ku Klux Klan. The Ku Klux Klan are the ultimate patriots. They are preserving Americanism. They are preserving the health and the safety of our country. You follow me? Even though you might disagree, I'm just saying that's just the way it was. That was the way they saw it. I'm doing this for the good of my family, my community, my state, my country. Prosopalipsia. By the way, I have to put the pronunciation up there every time because I need it as a help uh, to say this word. So this is what it means. Considering someone better than another because of clothing. That would be prosopalipsia. Considering someone better than another because of education. It's like you see someone who's uneducated, you see someone who is educated. Well, you give more value to the educated guy. I mean, it just sounds a lot smarter, right? That's prosopalapsia. Actually, God is going to go out of his way to say we don't do that in the kingdom of heaven, which means he doesn't do that. Isn't that an amazingly encouraging statement to realize that God has no prosopalapsia? He doesn't actually show partiality based on your knowledge of the Hebrew and the Greek. Oh, praise God. Some of you are like freed all of a sudden. To realize that God doesn't have this Considering someone better than another because of wealth. Oh, oh guys, look at this one. This one applies. Consider someone better than another because of skin color. You know, that is so utterly ridiculous when you're staring at the Scripture to even come to a conclusion like that. But the culture that we have been in and been, been brought up in, this has been a heavy-duty influence. And when you follow the cultural mindset instead of the biblical one, you can really get off course and quick. Romans 2.11, for there is no partiality or prosopalapsia with God. None, zero, zippo, it doesn't exist with God. James 2.1-9, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with prosopalapsia, with partiality. Do not live your life, your faith in Christ, with prosopalapsia. It doesn't work. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit here at my footstool, have you not just shown prosopalapsia or partiality among yourselves, and become judges with evil thoughts? So Now imagine, this is like looking at a church situation. Someone comes into your gathering and you treat one better than another. But what if our gathering is a country and someone comes into your country and you treat some as better and some, you say, you sit here in a good place. Or or, here, that's not what you say to the poor guy. You say, you stand there, sit here at my footstool. Now, I understand that sometimes we struggle with applying it straight across the board, but that's what the Bible's for. You see, the kingdom of heaven doesn't alter. It's just the same in every situation, whether it's here, whether it's in my soul, whether it's in my marriage, whether it's in my family, whether it's in this church, whether it's in this community, whether it's in this world. Same truths. God doesn't change, for one. It's like, oh, I'm going to be a you know, really nice guy in the church, and I'm going to be really mean outside the church. It's not how he works. He, he is. James 2 continued, listen my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, prosopalapsia, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Acts 10, 34 through 35. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no prosopalapsia. He shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Every nation. You could say it this way. Every nation, tribe, and tongue. God accepts them. If God is going to accept them, if he's not going to diminish them, if he's not showing prosopalapsia towards them, It's pretty obvious we shouldn't. Now, I'm speaking to the choir. I know. I recognize that because some of this is just sort of like, Eric, do you actually think I don't agree with this? Part of it is recognizing our root system, the soil from which we have come forth so that we can better address what is happening in our country right now. Has prosopalapsia been exhibited in our country? Uh, I I don't know if you have a clear answer to that. I'm just going to tell you if you haven't figured it out. Yes, it has. 40 acres and a mule, William Tecumseh Sherman's promise to those oppressed. Now, unfortunately, this is one of those things that's going to come up in every liberal discussion, 40 acres and a mule, 40 acres and a mule. And as a result, the conservative can say, I'm sick and tired of hearing about 40 acres and a mule. William Tecumseh Sherman, an extension of Lincoln's agenda, is going to promise these freed slaves 40 acres and a mule as part of the package. In other words, they're not just being set free and then left bereft of anything they have no money they have you know only the ability to you know uh, grow cotton it's like what am i supposed to do with my life now well you're going to get 40 acres and a mule it's like oh wow oh what a great situation this is everything is turning for the black person in this country upon assuming the u.s presidency after lincoln's assassination remember lincoln's going to get shot this is by the way a large part of that Andrew Johnson issued a proclamation, so Andrew Johnson was the vice president, he's going to assume the presidency, and he issued a proclamation that Sherman's allocated lands in South Carolina be returned to their original Southern owners if these Confederates would take an oath of loyalty to the Union. So all these blacks that were set free with their 40 acres and a mule suddenly don't have 40 acres and a mule. And this has been harbored for a long time, which is why it keeps getting brought up. And when the conservatives just say, well, you shut up about the 40 acres and a mule, do you know that that doesn't solve the issue? It's a real grievance. Now, there are two different ways to handle a grievance. If I'm pastoring someone, I'm going to say, you need to let that go. (laughs) You need to forgive that. However, on the other side, if you're part of what they see as the problem, and the ones who don't give the 40 acres and a mule, then you look back and go, "I, "I okay. All right. I don't know what I had to do with that. I mean, that's a long time ago. And this is classic uh, you know, uh, for all of us today. It's like, I, I, I'm so sorry. I don't know what to say. And this is where the sensitization comes in. You say, okay, there's a very real grievance that has been carried like a feud throughout the decades. And it's good for us to know that it exists. Years and years and years of this. It's not just one time where there was 40 acres and a mule. This has been Over and over again, you have equal rights. You have a vote. And then if you try and vote, you get lynched. Uh, That doesn't work very well. In other words, you begin to recognize that this country says one thing with its mouth and doesn't deliver in the other side. What does this lead to? Well, this leads to bitterness. It leads to resentment. And this will actually eat at the soul of our nation. Is there a better way to handle this? So right now we have two extreme sides. We have the BLM riots, cancel culture, woke on one side, and then we have the January 6th venomous diatribes, caustic nationalism on the other. Now, for those of you that lean right and conservative, you're a little offended by my description there. It's like, excuse me, but you sound like one of those liberals describing it. I have listened to conservative pundits. I'm conservative. Remember, I lean conservative. I don't want to be defined as conservative. I'm a Christian, but. I understand and have a greater empathy, easier, for the conservative argument. And so I understand where January 6th comes from. I understand what's going on. I understand why it really offends the conservative with how it was handled. Right? I get that. But there are venomous diatribes. The way that Donald Trump speaks about his opponents is derogatory. It's not the way Jesus speaks about those that oppose him. The way that the pundits speak of what's going on in our country and the way they speak of the liberals and the liberal leaders is they will call them out by name and criticize them and treat them as filth. That's how they're doing it. Just calling a spade a spade, guys, and I'm saying that's not how Jesus does it. So therefore, it is an extreme reaction that is unhealthy. It is not showing Jesus, and it's actually not going to solve anything. What it leads to is another civil war. There is one solution, and that is Jesus. Jesus is actually the solution. You can handle every problem politically and socially with an external man-made solution. I've watched this happen in Haiti for generations. Haiti has problems. And there has been, I don't know what it is, like $20 billion of aid that have been poured into that country. That is a lot of money. Enough money, I don't remember what it came to, but it was like each person in the country would have like, Oh, it was like $100,000 or a million dollars. It was like something so massive. And yet, it's totally impoverished. It's like, what, what just happened to all that money? You see, the system itself is unhealthy. And the only way to fix a system is you need to get at the root of it. When you have a national religion that is voodoo, which is not just anti-God, it's pro-Satan, What you have is an unhealthy system that needs to be addressed with the gospel, not just with aid. You can have social justice on your mind, and as you're hearing some of these things, you're going to bring equality back. Actually, that's not what I'm after. I'm after Jesus coming back. For Jesus to be the solution in us. These people, in every turn, need Jesus. They need the gospel. And so, as we walk through this, that's what I want us to be meditating on. Repentance, giving up an old mindset for a new one. This has happened throughout American history. We, we've, we have quite the history of repentance. The repentance of slaveholding America. Now, whether or not everyone repented, there is a certain level of repentance that took place. Like, you know what, I think we're doing something wrong here. So this is what the change of mindset was. From, quote, black people should have no rights, end quote, to, quote, black people should have equal rights. Oh, but they still should be separate. We're going to actually set black people free, but we're going to then segregate from them. And this is what's going to be called the Jim Crow laws, which I began to give you understanding of in the first episode. And it's this whole season of time up until the mid-1960s that there is going to be this segregation. Maybe I should say the 50s, mid-50s. The repentance of Jim Crow America. So then... We have Jim Crow America and we're going to repent. We're gonna say, oh, this is, this is not right. So black people don't need to be separate anymore. That, that was our realization. That's dumb. And almost every single one of us, bar none, are going to say, that's dumb. I mean, who, why would you have segregation? Our, our generation has no ability to fathom what was going on back here, right? Segregation means, make, makes no sense. That means to separate. Separate water fountains, separate toilets, separate entrance into the theater, separate place to sit in the theater. Are you serious? Very serious, is what they would say back. And to, un- to desegregate was quite the storyline in American history, too. So black people don't need to be separate anymore. That's That's dumb. But that doesn't mean that they are as competent as white folk. So what you're going to see is you're going to see, a, okay, we're not going to do the segregation thing anymore, but you guys still need to know your place. It was unspoken, but it's like still the best jobs are going to go to the most competent. Just We, we need you to know that. So then we have the repentance of civil rights era America. All this stuff about black people being lesser was just plain ridiculous. They can do anything a white person can do. I think it's reasonable that they have equal opportunities, just not better opportunities. Now, I, I don't want to get into the politics of this particular uh, element, because that's dangerous, which is why I probably need to put my s- a slide up on the screen, pause right here. We are currently riding our bicycle on sand. There's Eric uh, riding his bicycle on sand. This is a delicate topic, and I, I know almost every single one of you keeps trying to pigeonhole me in some, some kind of political agenda that I have right now. Zero. I do not have a political agenda. My agenda is actually very different than probably what you think. The reason I'm going through this is to lay a foundation for my series. It's simple, right? At the same time, I'm saying something to sensitize you to the reality that we don't like to talk about. And that is, there is a real problem. Well, there are people that talk about that real problem all the time, but very few of them were able to get down to brass tacks inside of us. Oh, they're just talking. Yeah, I've heard that argument before, but very rarely does it actually speak to us. We can't even hear anymore. And so I am wanting to walk us through this in a way that maybe we can hear. And not so that we can become liberals nor do I want you to become more staunch conservatives but so that we can showcase Jesus in this generation. I'm writing on sand right now, guys. So the Orphan Summit, May 2007. This was being hosted at Focus on the Family, and Leslie and I were being stirred in a very deep level to realize we had gone through a miscarriage. And so that would have been 2006. uh, And very challenging thing for us to walk through. And yet God used it in such a powerful way because at first, my first response to the miscarriage was, you know what, we're going to give thanks to God, we're going to rejoice, we're just going to move on. Sounds like a really good solution, right? Except for the fact that God paused me in that and he halted me and convicted me and said, Eric, grief and sorrow is actually a part of my kingdom too. And this life, if you don't cry for it, who else will? You're my tears down there. You're my heart, the expression of it. I had never had this thought before that God wants to express himself through us to the situations around us. That we are the heart of God. We are the response of God. We are the care of God in every situation. And that I needed to carry that burden for this unborn life. And so I agreed to that, and I began to feel the heart of God for the unborn. Very significant thing for me to walk through, because theoretically, logically, politically, ideologically, I supported the rights of the unborn. But suddenly I saw their value to God. And that was a game changer for me, because I began to realize, who else is not being cried for? Who else is not being cried for? And that's where God turned Leslie's and my heart towards the orphans out there, that they, they don't have a parent to care for them, to cry over them, to, to be concerned over them. It's like, oh, Lord, well, you're a father to the fatherless. And then I begin to have him say the same thing that he did with that little unborn child. But Eric, I'm a father to the fatherless through you. In other words, I extend that grace through my church. And if you're not feeling, and if you're not responding, who is and so that's going to lead to uh, the pursuit of the adoption of Harper, which is a great story in of itself. I don't have time for that now. And it's also going to lead to this place where we are going to go to this summit of all these people. It was very small at the time, and it, maybe it had, I don't know, like 500 people there at this summit. And that was where I was... Uh, I, actually, we had a concert here on Monday night uh, with his little feet, and his little feet... We're not called His Little Feet at the time, but Mike and Krista were leading a group, uh, an orphan choir at the time, and I came up to the front. and I remember sitting in the front of the of the venue and saw Krista leading them, and I saw these kids up on stage, and I, I mean, I was weeping the entire time. I was like seeing something that I God had warmed my heart towards, the orphan. And I'm like looking at like 20 of them right there, and they're all smiling. They're rejoicing. they're dancing. It was the opposite of what I was expecting. You know, usually you see a picture of the orphan and they're weepy, and you know their c- face is caked with mud, maybe a tear streaming through the mud down their, their face. It's like, "Oh, that poor thing." This is like the opposite experience where I was so deeply convicted that I have my weights in life and they have so many more and yet they are full of rejoicing. They have the simple childlike heart towards God. And I, I remember just, my heart was ablaze. I want to help such as these. Lord, what can I do? I would love for this series to be an orphan summit for us. I want our hearts to be ablaze, and I'm not just saying for racial issues, okay? That just happens to be how I'm starting with this. And there'll be a few more sessions that are going to address this very specifically. I don't just mean racial issues. I mean what Jesus cares about, where Jesus' heart is burdened. Most of us ideologically and theologically have it figured out, but we have never had our hearts set aflame for what sets his heart aflame. We are his tears. We are his hands. We are his feet. If we don't do anything, who's doing it? We're leaving our job to people that don't know God to respond to the issues. They see an issue. We don't. They respond to it. We complain. Instead of saying, Lord, this is our job, please show us what we are supposed to do to be your hands and your feet. Quote from the Orphan Summit. This is, I still remember this moment. This lady was up in front. It was a great speech, and she said this. It's high time we start realizing that these precious little orphan children are just as valuable as we are in God's eyes. And God is going to interrupt this, and he is going to speak something to me that has been very, very important in my life. And here it is. I'm saying a quote from the Holy Spirit. A quote is a very dangerous way of saying it, right? And because it's usually an impression would be the best way of saying it. No, Eric, don't take the bait. These precious little orphan children are not just as valuable as you are in my eyes. I want you to treat them as more important than you. These little ones are heavenly royalty. Now, what I just gave you, if you were to try and apply it to the political realm, could really mess you up. I'm not trying to ask you to apply it to your politics. I want you to apply it to your Christianity. Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. These are the glasses. When you wear the Christ glasses... Everyone around you is more important than you. And especially those that are oppressed, that are burdened, that are imprisoned, that are hungry, that are thirsty, that are naked, special place in God's heart. That's his royalty right there. And how you respond to them is the essence of your Christianity. Sheep to the right, goats to the left. How do you respond? How do you express your Christianity? We cannot be healthy in our Christianity if we turn a blind eye to the very thing God is desiring to work through us. Sarah Mae and Alice, royalty sleeping on my couch. So this group that was up on the stage dancing, I was so moved. It's like I wanted to get to know them. I'm sure you felt that on Monday night when the kids were there. It's like, so can I, like, strike up a friendship with these kids, or do I just need to watch them on the stage? Because it's so moving. It's like, oh, they're so precious. Well, Mike, the the host home for these, these two girls, fell through, and so he calls me up and says, I know this is last minute, but could you and Leslie actually house two of our girls tonight? It's like, oh, I mean, that's like saying, would you like a truckload of jewels delivered to you today? Uh, Yeah, I'll take that. Absolutely, I mean, this was like one of the, I just struck it rich, I just won the lottery. I get to house two of these little girls in my house. So that night, uh, Mike and Krista came over. We stayed up till like, well, actually, I I don't know if it was the night before they stayed over. And then the next night, Mike and Krista came over. We talked for like six hours. The girls fell asleep on the couch. And then they needed to leave and they had their bus outside. And they needed to somehow get these sleeping girls from the couch to the bus. And first of all, I felt so privileged, like my house was blessed having them on my couch. These are girls that were rejected in their life. The culture around them had rejected them. They were the lowest rung in their culture. And yet somehow in my eyes, I felt like I had some of the most precious people in the world literally on my couch. Like I was the most blessed guy on earth. And I had the privilege, Mike carried one of the girls and I got to carry the other out to the bus. Still to this day, ranks as one of the most precious spiritual experiences of my life. Saying, Eric, there it is this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to live your Christian life. I want you to put value on those that others don't put value on. And I want you to be willing to use your couch and your strength to carry them forward to me. The kingdom progression. We start with I am better. It's really not a good place and you really don't wanna get stuck there, guys. America has been stuck there in the past, but then there's a progression. Oh, no, 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 I'm not better, I'm equal. And then you really start to get your game on when the Spirit of God comes in and convinces you, no, 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 no. They are royalty and it is my great privilege to serve them. You see where they are better than you. I know that sounds really bad uh, to say. I don't know why it translates very poorly in the English language. They are better than me or they are better than you. That sounds like a value statement when in actuality, it's an esteem statement where I am going to treat someone as more valuable than me. It does not, I and mean, that's what Jesus did. It wasn't that we were more valuable than him. He is God, right? But he treated us as valuable. And the way he acted, he said, I will give up my life for you. And this is the attitude, the mind of Christ. The privilege of carrying royalty to the bus. Nothing quite like it, guys. See, some of you are jealous. You're like, how come Eric got, them, got to have them sleep on their, his couch and carry them out to the bus? What a, hey, God, what am I, chopped liver? I want the opportunity. I'm like, that's exactly what you want right there. And that's what this series is about. It's about beginning to take our rancid history or the rancid part of our history as America and begin to apply Jesus to it, to say, okay, we can't change it, and I don't want to cancel it. I don't want to remove it. That's the storyline. That's actually just what happened. So what do we do about it today? How can we change the storyline if that were Jesus? So two Chinese Christians are sitting in a cell, dirt floor, frigid cold in the middle of the winter. They both have a thin blanket to keep them warm. They're both strong Christians. That's the reason they're in this cell in the first place. And God's speaking to one of the Christians because he's shivering under this blanket. And he looks over at his buddy who's shivering under the blanket. And God speaks to him and asks him a question. If that were Jesus... Sitting next to you, would you give him your blanket? And he looks over at his buddy and he's thinking, if that was Jesus, if I was sitting next to Jesus in a prison cell, the one who gave his life for me, and I had the privilege of sharing the little I have with him, of course I would give him my blanket. And even though he was shivering, he removed the little covering he had and wrapped it around his brother because if that were Jesus, it would be my great honor. Matthew 25, 40, the king will answer and say to them, assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. You're sitting in a culture next to Jesus, and I want you to consider taking the thin blanket from off your shoulders, your own self-defensiveness, your own protection, your own comforts, and I want you to drape it around the shoulders of the one next to you. And that one next to you might stink, might have a rather bad attitude, might be rather proud and arrogant. It makes no difference. I want you to begin to serve. I want you to think of giving the little you have to help those around you instead of self-protecting. So what am I after? Social justice? Racial equality? The absence of oppression? The removal of all mean people? No, that's not what this series is about. I'm not trying to get you on some campaign to try and fight for racial equality. I want this to start inside of you. If you think of yourself as better, well then that's where we start. If you think of yourself as equal, that's where we start. What I want to see worked in is that you begin to treat others as royalty around you. And when we start there, We solve issues and we solve them in our life. We solve them in the church and then the culture will follow. First clean the inside of the cup and dish and the outside will be clean also. If the church doesn't get its game on, who cares about the politics? You could get a strong Christian as a president in this country and it will not change our problem. We have a problem on the inside and only the spirit of God and the truth of Jesus Christ can transform that. I'm after true Christianity. That's what I'm after that actually aids the oppressed, advocates for the weak, weeps with those who weep, and rejoices with those who rejoice, not for political or social reasons, but simply to show the love of Jesus. This is just what we do. There's some of you in here that would even be classified as the oppressed. You don't have to have a different skin color to be considered the oppressed. You see, we all have our challenges and our sensitivity as believers isn't based on skin color. I don't just reach out to someone because of their skin color. However, I can have a greater sensitivity because of that as well, because that is an issue that the devil's trying to stir up. And as a result, he's probably trying to stir it up in them as well. And so I can show a sensitivity to that and I can wrap a blanket around the shoulder as opposed to say, get over it. I actually can have the heart of Jesus right now in this culture right now, not because I want to vote or I want to sway the culture politically or legally. I want to show Jesus, no matter what that means and no matter what the outcome, I trust him. Father, this is a work you must do. This is something that we need your power for. We are naturally selfish, but Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to intervene and to transform us and to warm our heart. For those that are weak, for those that need the love of Jesus today, turn us outward, Lord, and show us the value of those around us. We ask this in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this